Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. It feels pretty redundant to say that there has been a lot of change in the world in recent times and of course those working in the sponsorship space know this only too well, included on that front is the employment market. It's a popular news topic at the moment. There are less people moving between countries, people returning home to their countries, talk of the great resignation, silent quitting and even employment padding. One thing that hasn't changed is that the industry still needs quality professionals to sell, manage and activate sponsorships. And that's why in this episode, we're going to take a look at the current employment market and how it relates to sponsorship professionals and even sports and the entertainment industry more broadly. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you are listening to episode 116, brought to you by Core Software. Thanks for joining me for another episode, and I hope all is well in your part of the world as we hurtle towards the busy Christmas and New Year period. And I am pleased to say that I have a few shout-outs for this episode. First is Josh Murcott, who is New Business Sales Manager EMEA at Sport Business in London, and he reached out on LinkedIn to connect and simply say that he's a big fan of the podcast. So it was great to connect with you, Josh. Thanks for that. Also, Nathan Kawai. Nathan also connected on LinkedIn, and he is Senior Brand Communications Manager Football at Adidas in London. And he wrote, Hi, Daniel. I came across the podcast a few months ago whilst completing a course with the European Sponsorship Association and have been binging episodes ever since. Really enjoy the show, and it's an invaluable resource which helps with the day job, landing brand campaigns and activating club partnerships. That's so great to hear, Nathan, and thank you so much for connecting, and I hope you keep kicking goals there at Adidas. And finally, Sue Harvey from Alberta, Canada, who is the Executive Director at Driving Forward, which is a very unique and innovative experiential treatment which is geared toward assisting military, first responders and their families battling PTSD, as well as assisting in preventing it. Now, Sue connected on LinkedIn as part of her journey in, as she says, focusing to find meaningful partnerships. And she said she is very grateful for all the amazing advice that our guests provide. So it was great to hear from you, Sue, and good luck with the very important initiative. In this episode, we're going to take a look at the current employment market and how it relates to sponsorship professionals and even sports and the entertainment industries more broadly. To help us do that, Jonathan Harris, Managing Partner, Australia and New Zealand at SRI, returns to the show. And I say returns because Jonathan joined us way back in 2017, so five years ago. And so I wanted to get him back on for an update on all things employment, recruitment and retention. So whether you're looking to make a move to a new job or you want to attract and retain the best talent in your organization, Jonathan is well-placed to provide us with an update. SRI is an executive search and consulting firm focused on driving individual, team, and organizational performance in converging and transforming industries across media, entertainment, gaming and esports, fashion technology, sport, and sporting goods. Here's Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. You were on the show about five years ago, and so I need to mix up your icebreaker questions as uh, the ones I asked you back then were about your first job and who you would choose if you could be anyone else in the world for a day. So I've mixed it up a little bit here, giving you a new one. So for your first icebreaker, just to help the guests get to know you a little bit, just get off on a light foot, I'm going with, what is your earliest ever sporting memory? My earliest ever sporting memory is the 1982 World Cup. So I was eight and uh, England, England as usual, 
fell out earlier that competition, but I vividly remember my favourite player at the time, the England captain, a guy called Brian Robson, scoring a goal after 27 seconds um, against against Spain, I think it was. Um, so, so very topical given that the uh, the World Cup is currently in, in Qatar. And by the time this goes live, goes out, the audience is listening to it, would have England won the World Cup? I think it will be France or Brazil ahead of England, and obviously England play France next up. So I think one of those three teams will win it. Um, I think it'll be a, I think it'll probably be a France Brazil final. But it'll be interesting to hear when we look back on this. <laughs> the English English French game will be close, but um, maybe the winners of that game to play Brazil in the final. Yes, France is a very tough assignment. So, Jonathan, when I stalked you online to try and find another angle for another icebreaker question. I found a bunch of other Jonathan Harris's online. So there's a, a Jonathan Harris, the professor whose research discipline is cell and molecular biosciences. There's Jonathan Harris, the specialist commercial lawyer. And there's Jonathan Harris, the medal-winning Paralympian sailor and most famously Jonathan Harris, who played Dr. Zachary Smith in Lost in Space. So if you couldn't be the Jonathan Harris, the SRI executive, and had to be one of those other Jonathan Harrises, who would you choose and why? Would it be the professor, the lawyer, the sailor, or the actor? I think it would be the sportsman. I think it would be the Paralympian. To, to be at the forefront of sport would be, uh, be fantastic. Jonathan, hopefully everyone is familiar with SRI, but just in case they aren't, can you maybe set the scene for us a little bit and tell us about SRI? Because... The I stands for international, and you really do have a global reach. And then also cover what your role is at SRI, please. So I'm the managing partner for, for SRI in Australia and New Zealand. I listened to the 2017 podcast that we did this morning, Daniel, and um, we're a, we're a, we've evolved a, a fair bit since then, and since I launched the company here in uh, here in Australia 12 years ago. Um, but we're, a, we're an executive search and consulting firm that's focused on um, the team and organisational performance in 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 the converging world of sports, media, entertainment, gaming, and esports, um, and fashion and technology. Um, so, so um, we originated in the sports sport industry. That's and that's very much my heritage. That's how we launched the firm here in Australia. But um, since then, we've been a little bit both organic growth and acquisitive growth into media, entertainment, technology. Um, uh, and uh, we're very much a sort of worldwide firm, um, largely um, in executive search, but we do increasingly get involved in wider advisory projects around people, um, whether that's structure or benchmarking or, 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 or salary benchmarking or organisational structure and design and so forth. I wanted to have you back on the show because it's an understatement to say that so much has changed in the market over the past five years. And you and I spoke a little bit off air about some of that change. And as you just mentioned, you listened to the episode from five years ago in the car on the way into work this morning. And I'm guessing that you're probably smiling, laughing, nodding, shaking your head at the things you uh, spoke about five years ago and, and how some things haven't changed at all and some things have changed in ways that we couldn't have even imagined. How would you describe the sports employment market at the moment? The one constant is change. We certainly talked a lot about change back then in, in 17 as it was five years ago. But if anything, sort of more change now. We sort of talked about a huge amount of change back then. So so, so obviously, uh, since then we've had we've had the pandemic, we've had COVID, and and, and organisations have had to respond to that, and that and that's 
applied a huge amount of pressure to the sector um, and we're bouncing back from that now in this past 12, 18 months. Um, so probably that's the sort of key, key change. But actually, to be fair, in listening to the podcast this morning, as I say, you know, I, I did actually nod my head. It doesn't, you know, I, I did sort of chuckle at a couple of things. Uh, um, um, there's a good deal of foresight, a good deal of consistency, but I'd say just as much change, probably the prevalence of data is even more so. We certainly talked about that last time. And then we kind of touched upon a bit of a war for talent, you know, and the, and the challenges of hiring in, this, in, in the marketplace then. And I just say that that's increased. So our insight, you know, it, it, the, the, the market is tremendously dynamic um, and there are there continue to be huge supply and demand issues, uh, which I guess, you know, being mercenaries, people think is good for the search and recruitment industry. But um, does, it does, um, it, it, it was very interesting listening to that five years ago and then sort of having a view upon where the world is now. I know SRI don't specialise in sponsorship roles and, of course, you place people in commercial roles and, and roles right through sports organisations. Are you able to talk to whether what employees are looking for in sponsorship and partnership-related candidates? Has it changed much over the past years, do you think? No, it hasn't too, changed too much from my sort of summary back then. I mean, I'd say certainly my observation would be that yeah, my perspective and my answers to your question, Daniel, will be very much around the sport, media, and entertainment space more broadly, of which sponsorship is a key part. So I'd say I'd say the core tenants or trends or issues are very much industry based, and they probably do then permeate to down into the into the commercial arena or sponsorship arena, as I view it. In terms of what organisations seek, I'd say it's, it remains the same as we talked about in 2017. You know, there are there are opportunities to hire from within the industry. There are opportunities to hire with analogous skills from outside of the industry. Um, I think I think the best searches do do look, you know look at both. Um, um, I think you know, the very best operators um, in, in sponsorship, both from a commercial and business development perspective and a relationship perspective, the themes really remain the same as our discussion in 17 is that um, we said then that larger organizations are able to, 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 to differentiate between their business development, their sales staff and their delivery, their relationship management. Um, and I think you see that in large sports and they're able to do that very, very well. The challenge then is into smaller organizations where you look for where you look for both of those skill sets and they are actually slightly counterintuitive in a way in that you know the, the person that's that's exceptional at relationship management and servicing might not have the sales and business development pedigree that you know an organization might want both. So that when you're out there procuring a sponsor you can secure the business but then deliver upon it and that's potentially always a tension in any organization that you go to between those two sides of sponsorship what about the flip side what sorts of things are you seeing candidates looking for in roles at the moment not just in terms of opportunity so to speak but also the conditions the the, the perks what they're looking for from an employer more broadly not just the role Certainly organizations are looking for, or individuals, sorry, are looking for greater, greater independence. There's this sort of this phenomenon of sort of working from home that's, that's to sort of build out of COVID and continues and, you know, flexible, flexible workforces are key. Culture is key. People are key. Um, it's probably, it's even more turnover and change so that, you know, that generation, that millennial generation that, that, are, that are willing to move quite quickly, you know, you know, if I think about my time in this industry, we look for you know consistency in CVs. People who invest three, four years in employer and then take the next move. Um, that's becoming less and less. Um, 
there was a sort of phenomenon that I sort of saw, we saw a lot of in Europe, the sort of gig economy, like more external consultants, um, um, people, you know, working two days a week in one in one firm, and three days here or one day here. That gig economy has been impacted by COVID. That was certainly something that was, we were starting to see more and more of in Australia. Um, it's certainly something that was very prevalent if I think about my sort of, you know, sort of London and Europe and North America. Um, and we were starting to see that. I think that's been a little bit checked by, by COVID and, the, and, and, and that, you know, those, those consulting roles, those project roles disappeared and people became maybe a little bit more risk averse and, 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 and more sort of locked in or seeking sort of longer term um, permanent or longer term contract roles. Since we last spoke, women's sport has grown and grown. It's just gone from strength to strength. It, it demands commercial focus. Has that had any impact on, on the employment landscape? Definitely. I'd say it's, and it's had a huge impact on the sponsorship world. We did, we, I'm glad it was, it was seen as a sort of core area of 2017. The fact that it wasn't that we were talking about it as differentiated areas of women's sport and men's sport. Actually, now, looking back five years later, now... It, you know, any sport that doesn't have equity um, um, in its properties, in its offerings, uh, is is limited commercially. Um, um, it doesn't have equity in their employment structures, in their board. You know, the fact that we discussed it in seventeen, and now it's just, you know, it's just a has has to be almost. Um, it, it was was quite an eye opener actually. That's one differentiation. So that's. Yeah, absolutely. But that's only increasing the sort of products and properties in the marketplace. And that's therefore only putting pressure on the commercial dollar because any 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 sponsor will want, you know, absolute equity in its partners. Um, and then it's really about those sports, uh, those properties, understanding their their marketplace and, and demonstrating the you know, equity. Um, obviously, you know, AFLW has gone through the roof, and that's had a huge, huge impact on the AFL uh, industry. Um, and many other sports sort of play a little bit of catch up. There's clear benefits to getting the recruitment process correct. How big does a role have to be for it to be worthwhile for an employer to engage someone like SRI? And, and what are some of the telltale signs that it might just be easier to engage a recruiter rather than trying to handle the process internally yourself? That's a kind of variation of the question you asked the last time around. And my answer then was it's not just a sort of salary-driven decision. I would say that large organisations have larger TA teams now, talent acquisition teams. So... So they might best cover some of the sort of more junior and, and mid-level roles. So typically an executive search would typically be a more sort of senior role. It might be a specific area where, where search is needed. That could be for discrete purposes, i.e. an organisation not being able to be public in its search activity. But the majority of searches are at a C-level. The majority of work that we do are at a C-level. Don't get me wrong, there are, there are recruitment companies out there that do the the 50 to 150k work, but the majority of SRI's activity would be at the, um, the 150 through to 500, 600k level. Um, I guess yeah, any search can then be eminently, you know, eminently, it's what's searchable, what's sort of findable. They, you know, we're quite often sort of brought in as a distressed acquisition, i.e. a firm of an organization sorry have struggled to find the person they need and they and they need our you know access to our international insights or our database or where good people are you know sometimes actually they're just not very good at telling their own story and going out and marketing their role it's not just about 
you know, bang in an advertisement onto Seek. It's it's about having the ability to do research and mapping and go out and target specific individuals with specific roles. I think that's that's probably really where search starts. You touched on a couple of key things there, and so a, a follow-on or continuation to that question is, and we're there trying to make the question too negative. What are some of the mistakes that you see rights holders or brands even making when recruiting for sponsorship and commercial related roles? There's been a good deal of inflation in the marketplace around that kind of classic commercial manager, business development manager, um, head of commercial um, type type role uh, in the sponsorship space. And I think um, something that we've observed and been a little bit surprised about where, where, where good candidates in that role who might normally be in at the 130, 140, 150K role are, are now at the sort of 170, 180, 190K mark. Um, and I think companies might underestimate that um, uh, and pitch the role at the wrong level. Um, I think, I think, and I made this a variation upon this point in the seventeen uh, interview. But I think sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's a it, 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 an organisation has seen underperformance in their in their head of commercial in their BDM or sponsorship area, and they think if they just make a transition and change, it's going to solve the problem. When actually, some of the issues might lay beyond the role itself in terms of an organisation knowing themselves, knowing their data, knowing their brand, and you know, and giving them the tools and the content to go out and find a sponsor. Um, so I'd, I'd say I'd say an organisation should look at look at themselves as much as the failure of a specific individual you know before going to market um, and make sure that they get what they want right uh, um, through through that briefing stage and sometimes that's best done with an organization such as ours because we can comment upon that we can we can look at you know we look at an NRL club we can look at what the eels are doing versus what the rabbitos are doing or you know we can help and advise and and, um, and, and, and sort of demonstrate where where things might need to change. I think it's a very interesting uh, point that you make around it's not just about swapping somebody out of a role all the time and that will help potentially improve an an underperforming seat in the organisation. I think it's a very important point that you make. Jonathan, let's talk about some of the trends we hear the media speaking about. And again, we were speaking about this off air and how everything has to have a label now. It has to have a cool terminology attached to us. The first one I wanted to talk about is, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard it, the great resignation. What are your views on the so-called great resignation and how it affects the employment market? Yeah, look, I think that is a thing, definitely. I'd say it's one of multiple factors, though, that are impacting the employment market. So that's definitely something that we observed in the the afterwash of COVID, if you want, and, and, and you know, that... Another label, if you want, is the war for talent. And uh, I chuckled when we laughed when we, that was raised in our 2017 interview because I'd say it's only ever more present now in 2022 than it than it was then. So there definitely was a great resignation. I think I think you've got to look at the factors that prompted that. So if I if I just focus upon again on the sport industry and the, and again that, how that impacts the sponsorship industry, but. There's a huge amount of pressure placed upon boards just to keep their sports going, just to get revenues in there. Obviously, ticketing revenue dropped or participation of sports fell, so membership and, and, and registration fees all fell away. That created a huge amount of pressure on boards, at a, at a, you know, or, 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 and that in turn creates a huge amount of pressure on the CEOs. And there's undoubtedly been 
and that has a trickle down effect from the CEO down into the into the leadership too. So there's undoubtedly been just a huge post-COVID people just exhausted, like saying, you know, people used to love working in sport and people just become very beaten up, very exhausted by just keeping their competitions going. We're operating in COVID bubbles if you think about the professional sport uh, sector. So just a huge amount of pressure. Definitely, you know, people thought, you know what, sod it, I'll just get out and I'm going to go work in consumer FMCG or in a normal member organisation that isn't so profile or public eye. So there definitely was a sort of great resignation and that, and that, and, and we saw that, you know, numerous national governing body CEOs or state governing body CEOs um, um, resigned. They just had enough um, uh, over the last 12, 24 months. Um, that, again, has caused organisations to need to sort of change and adapt and look at how they recruit and how they structure things. I'd say things are returning to normal a little bit. Um, on the flip side, I do think this, I do think that employee, we just talked about the gig economy a moment ago, but employees are becoming a little bit more risk averse. So there's actually, it's actually a catalyst to less resignations, if you want, or less people looking for jobs. I think people become so nervous about the marketplace that if they're in a good role or they're, they're kind of well paid and they've got mortgage pressure at home with interest rates rising and blah, blah, blah. People might be less willing to roll the dice on a job change. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? So it, and that actually sort of goes against the great resignation. It's, it's like almost creating a greater level of conservative behaviour in job decision making. You know, if you've got a, if the job's half decent, maybe we stay where we are because I don't want to go somewhere new and then it fall over for whatever reason. You know, better, better the devil you know if you want. Well, I was going to ask about that because I read an article yesterday. We were just talking then about the great resignation. It really does speak to the power of the employees because, you know, ultimately most things revolve around an economy and if the the supply and demand is out of whack a little bit, one party has more power uh, than the other. The one I heard about yesterday, I read it in an article, I think it was called Employment Padding and it's where... The article is saying that around about 10, 15%, only 10 or 15% of people are, are really comfortable in their role, confident in it, uh, and that a lot are, are starting to get scared about getting let go. Every time we open the news sites or read the paper or watch the television, we hear about these mass layoffs. And so the, the article was saying that some people are dipping their toes into the water around exploring other roles if those redundancies come to bear or even undertaking some study as insurance is it really an issue or is it is it just the media making stuff up well i've not picked up that so much in the marketplace daniel i'd say that very trend is creating as i say more cautiousness in moving i'd say that you know better the devil you know you know people people again sort of staying where they are despite frustrations um than necessarily sort of seeking a move i mean if they are looking they're probably seeking job security um in a prospective new employer but um I guess it's that's a question of whether your sort of glass is half full or, or half empty, depending on how you look at that a, li a little bit. Um, again, there is a war for talent, so there is a place that people can go out and can get more money. That's what they're looking for. But you know, there's less migration as well. COVID, post COVID, I mean, I think we used to see a lot of people move around borders, uh, cross borders. Sorry, um, but you know, I just noticed a trend in the last sort of two years, maybe, that people are doing that less. You know, I think I think there was a wave of Aussies wanting to kind of come home, given that. You know, COVID issues were so much greater in North America and Northern Europe. Um, so there's a kind of wave of Aussies looking to come back. Uh, we definitely saw that, saying, so, you know, maybe now's the time to get out of Trump America or whatever. Um, but um, 
I think now there's less cross-border migration. So, you know, we're, we're seeing more domestic appointments, greater percentage of domestic appointments than international appointments, possibly as well. The only other label or phrase I want to cover off with you and then we'll move on is silent quitting. Now, I've got a fair few friends who own businesses and so we we talk candidly about managing employees and, and how the market's looking. Silent quitting came up the other day and that refers to somebody doing the minimum requirements of their job and putting in no more time, effort or enthusiasm than is absolutely necessary just to deliver on their job. I always found this a strange one because the employer sets the minimum and remunerates an employee for that. And so anything else that, that an employer can uh, get out of an employee, so to speak, is a bonus. What are your thoughts on how how real silent quitting is or is it just another media beat up? I think it's relatively real. I think people are looking for more from life than, than just their, their role, uh, their, their work. Um, I think the phenomenon of working from home can enable that a little. I'm sort of speaking a little bit carefully here, uh, so it's too controversial, but it certainly does enable that. I think it goes back to that sort of millennial men- mentality of that you do you do see this sort of cohort people coming through that kind of want more and they want immediate, you know, whether it goes to their TV or their music or music or whatever, you know, they 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 secure roles and they want promotions in six or nine months. So I think. I think it is a thing. What's the discussion around that is how organisations pull people together and give and give them more, and you know the environment they create and, and the culture that they have, and, um, the, the offices they provide. You know, so people want to come to the office as opposed to work from home. Um, but to enable their workforce to be a wee bit more fluid is definitely a thing. I have a few businesses I jump onto projects with. They say, "Hey, Daniel, can you come and help us with this project?" Or we're bidding for this project. They often ask me for an updated resume. It feels so 2002. I hate, I despise having to fiddle around and format it in a Word document to fit some new weird template that somebody's asking for. Are resumes still actually important? And if so, what are some things that people really should focus on in their resume, but maybe they don't? There's another question that came up in 2017, and it's another one that I kind of maybe chuckled at, you know, with a sort of with a further five years. I think... I think a resume and a, and, a, and a good, clean, punchy resume is, is still important, certainly in the executive search space, certainly in senior roles. And, and, I, and I made the point in 17 that just as important is a, is a, targeted, uh, is a targeted cover note to that. The mistakes people can make is that they roll out a sort of eight or 10 or 14 page document. You know, good CV, three pages, good cover letter is one page. It's clean, it's punchy, it's achievement oriented. Um, but probably in parallel with that, and probably more important than ever, is is making sure that your LinkedIn profile is is clean and um, again tidy, achievement oriented, up to date. Uh, I think I think nowadays more than ever people will receive an application and have a peek at them on LinkedIn to see what their activity is about and you know see how they carry themselves. And so so I'd say that in parallel is probably more important than keeping your CV up to date. You spoke earlier about the trend that you're seeing around less migration and or people coming home, uh, some more local appointments in organisations. Obviously, 
being an international organisation, you'd work with sponsorship managers and commercial managers and people working in sport, entertainment and brands and moving from different markets, say maybe it's an Australian coming home to Australia, maybe it's a, a, a UK resident migrating to Australia. Do candidates differ much in terms of their approach to their role or, or, or skills between different markets or is it reasonably homogenous or generic? probably has more in common than it has differences. I say it's rare, homogenous isn't necessarily the word, but I'd say the nature of, of commercial sales and partnerships differ in North America to they do here. You know, it's probably a little wee bit more relationship driven here. It's probably a little bit more capitalistic over there. Um, but the actual core core of the roles are much are much the same. Um, I'd say um, that focus on getting data and content right and get you know understanding what your assets are as a as a as a corporate and, and understanding what you can sell from a commercial perspective is is probably ever more important and probably that data side of things that you know was so you know there's a western migration around that so that's sort of really led out of the, out of the us i certainly i think that's the sort of core trend now is, is organizations understanding themselves getting their community and grassroots and membership strategies and data clear and really knitting that together with 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 your commercial sponsorship so just let's use football because we talked about that earlier but you know, the, the challenge with football australia is to get there is to get their high levels of participation knitted together and to then to enable that to commercialize that within within what they're doing with the soccer rooms or the matildas um, but that's yeah that's that's the same anywhere worldwide i'd say Obviously, the difference locally is the different is your black book, is your relationships, is who you know, and, and that's not something that you can you can import from the US or, or Europe. You obviously have a deeper understanding of local versus international candidates, but an employer might not, a rights holder might not, an entertainment organisation might not. They may be attracted in thinking that an international candidate may bring something new, something different, some sort of magic source or, or, or special knowledge or, or way of doing things. Would you say those with overseas sponsorship experience seem to be more sought after by rights holders or are, are they on par with locals? I know, I'd say, I'd say the local networks knowledge is so, so important. So sometimes the golden goose, if you want, is the, is the Aussie that's gone that's that started out here gone overseas and had obvious success and then you know you know bringing that international insight with their local networks and knowledge so so that's a fantastic thing to do to go i, I you know i i'd say an organization has to have sort of real scale and all the right assets around their hire to go to go and justify an overseas appointment so so that's not so that's specific to the commercial sponsorship industry i think if you you know, if you own a major stadium and you and you want a, a you know a, a, a CEO with stadium experience, you can that's transferable skills that you can take from other geographies. But uh, I think I think to hire from overseas versus you know local networks and knowledge is 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 high risk for for the Australian marketplace. I'd say. I want to circle back around to a point that we were talking about before because apart from career progression or just a great opportunity being presented, there are times when people leave roles because they aren't particularly happy, whether it's got a special label like great resignation or silent quitting or or whether it's just they're just generally not happy in the role. 
we know that in markets where there is high demand for employees, as you've said a couple of times, that war for talent, that's always easier for them to do that, to make the move. It's supply and demand. What are you hearing and seeing as the reasons people are exploring opportunities at the moment? Because I think we'd love to hear about those things from an employer's perspective, the things that they can focus on to help retain the good employees, those people that they don't want to lose. It's many different factors. Some candidates, some individuals are focused on money. Some people are focused upon the opportunity. Some people are focused upon the role. Um, some people are more focused on the environment and culture, professional development or wherever it is. So every, it's, you know, ultimately, probably every single move is a variation or mix on those different themes. So an organisation therefore needs to know um, have all, you know, they have to have, to have, to have the salary right, they have to have the culture right, they have to have the right leaders in place, they have to have the right development, they have to have the right environment, they need to have the right uh, working from home models, so that these you know, people, structures that enable people to do two days at home or one day at home, whatever it is. Um, but again, different things will appeal to different candidates. I don't think it's a single factor that they need to get right, it's that whole mix. Um, uh, and if you look at a shortlist, you know, the, the shortlist of four candidates might actually have very different priorities around around their job search criteria. Um, so sometimes it's finding the right person for the right job, and they may be different in two different organisations. As I said earlier, and you mentioned it as well, it's an understatement to say that so much has changed in the market over the past five years, and certainly listening to the last time you were on the show in the car this morning, it really highlighted that. And so I think if there's one thing we know about any market is that it will change. Let's say we're getting you on the podcast in another five years to give us an, an update. What do you think is going to, to change? What are some of the trends that we need to be keeping an eye on over the next two, three, four, five years? So we talked about this, the great resignation. We talked about candidates being more risk averse. We talked about being there's less migration uh, and all of those factors that have create, created supply and demand issues. Probably the next 10 years is all about this runway that we have to the Olympics in 2032. So I think in five years time, if we look back, we will see multiple world championships and major events. You know, we've already got a Rugby World Cup in 2027, Commonwealth Games in 2026, prior to the 2032 Olympics. So all of those organisations will need considerable teams. And again, that's just another factor of which will create a war of talent. Where are those individuals going to hire from? Particularly if people are migrate, migrating less, because major events usually have about 50% local, 50% international staff. Then they're going to be hiring from our indigenous sports, our, you know, our local sports, sporting organisations or major sort of corporates. So I'd say it's going to be a tremendously busy year with multiple major world events and championships in a runway to 2032, which is only going to increase increase um, the need for uh, talent external to the sport industry coming into the sport industry uh, and major events industry to, 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 to fuel growth. And I think that's a bit of high appeal. I think mean, people want to work for Rugby World Cups. They want to work for Commonwealth Games. They want to work for Olympic Games. So, so I think that's the key key thing. And, and therefore, if you're an employer, if you're a current sport, you probably need to go back and think about your culture to make sure people stay and people, people don't leave you and, and move to those organisations because, because um, the opportunity is going to be there for people to move. 
Well, speaking about opportunities for people to move, as we start to round this chat out, Jonathan, this show is going to go live in December. So it's a couple of, uh, probably a week or so away. The new year often makes people reevaluate and refocus. And for some, that means moving roles. How concentrated or big a movement or focus is that? Is changing roles more prominent at the start of the year than at other times, or is that just in my head? No, 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 that is a thing. Our fourth quarter of the year, this quarter, this current quarter, is always our biggest quarter, and that is because of organisations wanting to close things down before Christmas. I, I think the sort of sense of, of, of a lot of movement is created by the pause in January. We, we, we really do see see things slow in, in January. So you have a very busy December and a very busy February. Uh, and that, I think, creates that sort of sense of change. But people will tend to go to the beach and, and take time out and maybe think that the new year is a time for change. It is definitely a, it is definitely a thing. Jonathan, it's been a great chat. If people want to connect with you and keep the conversation going or find out more about how SRI can help them, either as an employer or a candidate, what can they do? Where can they go? Take a look at the website. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I probably best sort of respond to sort of notes on LinkedIn or emails. And of course, listeners will have links to all those in the show notes at coresoftware.com. So Jonathan Harris, Managing Partner Australia at SRI. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Have a little break yourself. But thank you so much for taking us inside the sponsorship, sports, entertainment, employment market. Thanks, Daniel. Good to catch up. So good to welcome Jonathan on the show again for an update. I really enjoyed that chat. And whether you personally are looking to make a move to a new job or whether your organization wants to attract and retain the best talent, I'm sure there were some valuable insights and advice in that chat for you. If you'd like to learn more about SRI, simply visit sriexecutive.com. And of course, you can connect with Jonathan on LinkedIn. Simply search for Jonathan Harris. That's H A R. R-I-S. Of course, those links are in the show notes at coresoftware.com. Finally, if you'd like a shout out or just want to say hi, just like Josh and Nathan and Sue, then I'd totally love to hear from you. I know I say it every episode at the end, but I do really get a kick out of it. So please connect with me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. That's a wrap for episode 116. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, eBooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.